the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Hello, everyone. This is Al Fadi, and I want to welcome you back to a continuation of this video series that has to do with the uh, basically historical uh, criticism of early Islam. Now, when we talk about the word Qibla, any Muslim knows that this is the direction of prayer. And if you ask a Muslim today, where do you pray towards? The, the answer is towards Mecca. Now, uh, historically speaking, according to standard Islamic narrative, allegedly that the prayer, at least at the beginning of Islam until Muhammad migrated to Medina, used to be towards Jerusalem. And then the Quran basically stated that now the direction of prayer has to change towards Mecca. Now, you would assume if you were to go to early mosques, early mosques, at least within the first hundred years of Islam, you would notice that the Qibla, the direction of prayer, would have been at least towards Mecca for the most part. But is that what we are finding? To answer that question, with us here in studio is our dear brother, Dr. J. Smith. Dr. J., what about the Qibla? I mean, you and I have really talked about this numerous times, but for the, for the sake of people who maybe haven't had a chance yet to watch that series. Okay, so we do know that according to the traditions, and they refer back to the Quran, chapter 2, verse 145 to 149, refers to this change of the Qibla uh, from the from the Jerusalem down to the Masjid al-Haram. And the Masjid al-Haram is, a refer, every Muslim will tell you, is the Kaaba itself. That's the Masjid. That's the forbidden place of bowing. That's where everybody bows towards. So the Qibla is redirected down that. And according to the traditions that this happened around 622, Muhammad, sorry, 624, Muhammad had moved to uh, Medina in 622. Mm-hmm. And he get, then receives this revelation in 624. And the reason why is because he had gone there to arbitrate between the Ansar and the uh, the Banu Qurayshi, the Banu Qurayza, the Banu Nadir, the Banu uh, uh, Kanuka family, those three major families who are in conflict with the Ansar, the natives of Medina. He was a neutral arbiter, and they brought him up from Mecca to live in Medina to do that arbitration. So he spent two years trying to arbitrate between the Jews and the Ansar, and it didn't work. And one of the reasons is because he imposed the Treaty of Medina, the, the Constitution of Medina, where he stipulated that he is to be the arbiter between man and God. And the Jews rejected that as I would have rejected, as you would have rejected it. So then this revelation comes to him in 624. You don't worry about the Jews. You had given them what God has allowed them to, the, the prayer towards Jerusalem. Take that away from them and redirect it back down to the Masjid al-Haram. So the Masjid al-Haram, according to tradition, standard Islamic narrative, that is Mecca. Which suggests, therefore, that after 624, every mosque 
must therefore be facing Mecca, not Jerusalem anymore. Mm-hmm. All of them must be facing Mecca. Right. Well, Gam Gibson uh, was doing this research for the Jordanian government. He was doing the Quranic Geography, which came out in 2011. He had been researching, and of course, in that, uh, within that whole research, he kept on going from mosque to mosque to mosque to mosque and finding the Qibla walls. The Qibla walls are pretty easy to find because almost all mosques, unlike cathedrals in Christianity, which are in the, in the shape of a, of, a, of a cross, are long and narrow. They're wide. Uh, the Qibla uh, wall is always the longest wall, so you, the Qibla is either one of two directions. It's either this way or that way, and it's therefore easy to find on all the mosques. Even most of the mosques that have uh, been destroyed, there's still the foundations there. And so he went to all these foundations of destroyed, destroyed mosques or went to the ones that were still erected, and he noticed where the Qibla wall was. And he took a direction using uh, the Aster satellite, satellite technology that comes out of Japan. Very accurate. It can get it within a few hundred yards of accuracy. He looked and saw where the Qibla direction was for every one of these mosques. And he didn't just go to a few. He wanted to go to the oldest mosques. So he went to all the oldest mosques that were in the same century that Muhammad lived. So therefore, all the oldest mosques that would have been in existence after 624. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to the slide and let's see what he found. And uh, we're going to just show you a few of them. I don't have enough space on this map, but there you can see Mecca way down here. That's where all the mosques should have been facing. But That's right. This is what he found. That's the logic, uh, you know, basically behind all of this. So there's Medina. And guess where the Qibla wall is? Well, the face in Petra. Pre-1987, uh, pre it's called the Qiblatain Mosque, the one that's right, in Medina. The, the, the two Qibla Mosque, yeah. Two Qiblas. Yeah. And no, people are always curious, why two Qiblas? Well, in 1987, they did, a, uh, they did some uh, excavation and re, re, rejuvenating. And uh, to do that, they had to dig down in the sand and they came across a completely new Qibla. And that Qibla, it was the older Qibla. That was the first Qibla. And that was facing directly north, straight towards, look at the, what it's facing towards. Petra. Based on calculations, by the way. Not Based just, on uh, accurate calculations. Yeah. Now, that one could have been Jerusalem because Petra and Jerusalem are Let's so say close. It's Jerusalem. Okay. okay, let's just do that. Another one, this one has been put into question. So I'm putting a question mark here because even Gibson is now saying he's not sure about this one to be here because we're not sure that that was the original uh, floor plan that we see there today. Nonetheless, back in 2011, he did say that this one is also facing Petra, which is fascinating because even if it was done more modernly, why are they still facing Petra That's and right. not Jerusalem? I'm sorry, excuse me, not Mecca. And there are quite a few de- uh, degrees off there. This one in Shadaman, this one is not in doubt. This one is very clear. In southern India, in Shadaman, the oldest mosque in India, this is all, these are all 7th century mosques. This one is f- facing directly to Petra, not to Mecca. And then he went to the Jamehama al-Kabir, Syria. That's in 637. Uh, that's in Syria. And take a look. The Hama Mosque is facing directly south. It should be facing a little bit off to the left, but no, it's facing straight to Becca, Petra. Fusta. Now we're way over in the west. This is the mosque that uh, that was discovered about a century earlier, was dug up about a century earlier by two scholars who, when they looked at it, they noticed that it was facing straight east. It should have been facing southeast. And they brought this up as a real problem back in 1905. And then he went to this one in Jerusalem itself, even to Jerusalem Mosque, which is the Dome of the Rock. Not the mosque, the Dome of the Rock itself. Mm -hmm. The whole citadel, including the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which was built in 709 or 711, between that time period. It is facing Petra as well. 
He went to Humayma Mosque and the Amman Mosque there in Jordan. So I put them both together because they're both in the same city. And that's facing straight west. It should have been facing south. So we're looking east, west, south, north. They're all facing Petra. So far, you've got a real problem here. The Gran Sana mask in Yemen. That would have been pretty easy to see if it was off. And it pretty is pretty easy. It is not facing Mecca. It is facing Petra. Now we're up to 705. So we're now into the 8th century. Notice these start in 626, 627, 629, 637, 642, 690, 699, 701, 705. We're now into the 8th century. We then go to the Kirbat Al-Minya Mosque in Israel, which is just a little bit west of the Dome of the Rock. And that one also is facing Petra. What do we know? Every Qibla from 624 up until 706 is facing Petra. None of them are facing Mecca. Tell me why that's significant. Well, I mean, uh, once again, if indeed a man by the name of Muhammad existed, who allegedly received the revelation in chapter 2, verses 144, all the way to 150, you know, 1, 152, talking about the change of that direction towards Mecca. If Mecca was such a significant place, if there is indeed a holy mosque in there, not just at the time of Muhammad, but at least for the first hundred years after Muhammad, now, why in the world none of these mosques that we looked at right now ever face towards Mecca? You would expect them to face toward Mecca. Even if they, let's say, they weren't facing towards Mecca and then Muhammad came and now they're starting to face towards Mecca. You would see significant changes in there, but none of them is facing towards Mecca. Even the ones in China, by the way, and the ones in India, we're talking about sophisticated civilization, by the way. It's hard for me to imagine that they would have missed the direction of Mecca. Now, so when was the first mosque? Do you know this off the top of your head? I know what it is. When do you think the first mosque facing Mecca was discovered? What was the date that of that mosque? I mean, it would have been at least after 100 years, at least. 100 years? Yeah. Okay. If Muhammad died, if the Kiblis were, were canonized in 624, so after 724 is what you're saying. Right. And you're correct. The first mosque that they found, that Gibson has found... Could be that there may be some moss in the future he'll find, but so far, and we're now into 2021, he still, or 2022, he still hasn't found any. The very first moss that he finds that is facing Mecca is the Banbor Moss, which is in Pakistan, 727. That's the 8th century. That's 100 years mm-hmm. after Muhammad, and certainly over 100 years after the Qibla was supposed to canonize in 624, according to the standard Islamic narrative. That is hugely significant. Now, this is evidence. Remember, we we talked about we don't have the evidence. The evidence, uh, there's an absence of of evidence, and the evidence of absence does not substitute me, absence of evidence. The the, the phrase that we've been banding around through all these episodes coined by Jamal Badawi way back in 1995 in my debate with him at that time. Folks, this is evidence. This is no longer absence of evidence. We are now finding evidence. This is, this is, Bricks and mortar. We're talking about stones. We're talking about walls. We're talking about an artifact. These are no longer an absence of evidence. This is true evidence. And the evidence is damning to Islam. It's damning to the standard Islamic narrative because it shows categorically that these mosques, which whose walls are still there today, some of the entire mosque is still there today. The Dome of the Rock is still there today, although some people have quibbled as to whether or not we have the original uh, building. Nonetheless, the entire citadel is still there today. The entire citadel where the Al-Aqsa and the Dome of the Rocks are, are situated, but all three of those structures, 
The Citadel, the Dome of the Rock, and the Alexa are all facing Petra, uniquely facing Petra. And they were all there from the 7th up until the early 8th century. The earliest we can find for anything towards Mecca is not till 727. So something happened prior to 727 that changed this direction. But that is evidence, not an absence of evidence. Now we're getting to the evidence. Amen. What are we going to talk about next time? Now we're going to talk about the trade route theory. We're going to look and uh, see what Crone did to Montgomery Watts' trade route theory that supported why we had, why Mecca was important. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for watching. This is Al-Fadi. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Hello, everyone. This is Al-Fadi, and with me here in studio, Dr. Jay Smith, and we have been going through what we call basically putting it all together when it comes to the uh, historical criticism of early Islam. Uh, we've been talking about the place Mecca, and today we are going to also continue this discussion. This time, we'll focus our attention on the so-called the trade route theory. In other words, Mecca was so prominent to the point that you would find it as a uh, an important commerce center. If we were to rely, as I did all of my life uh, as a Muslim, basically believing that Mecca was a an important trade center, and the logical question is, then you would find it on many of the early trade route maps. And that's what we are going to discuss today. Dr. J, is it true that Mecca can be found in any of the early trade route maps? Well, rather than answer that question right now, I'm going to pose a, another scenario real quickly. You're a Muslim. You know that Mecca has been around since Adam and Eve. You know that Abraham lived there. You know that it is the oldest city in history, the oldest inhabitant for humankind. And yet you can't find any reference to it. So you have a problem because you've got to persuade the world, right, as a Muslim, that this is an important city. Muslims didn't know what to do. So in the last century, a man named uh, Montgomery Watt came to their help. Montgomery Watt said, ah, I'll tell you what happened. Why did Mecca become important? Why is it on the trade route? There's a reason for it. And this is what he said. So this is the tr- what known as the trade route theory. Now, when I was going to school, when I was studying uh, under... Gerard Hotting and all the rest when I was studying under Dudley Woodbury before that, uh, I'd always heard about the trade route theory. The trade route theory rescued Muslims in the 1900s, in the last century. It really rescued them. They needed this guy from Scotland to help them out because he suddenly showed that this is the reason we don't hear about Mecca beforehand. And this is it. So let's look at a map. Let's go to the slide and I'll just walk you through it. Uh, this is not the first time you've seen it, Al-Fadi, but I want you to react to it once, you, uh, once we go and unpack it. So there is uh, the 7th century Arabia. This is a redacted map looking back at 7th century, recreating what we think today from what all the Islamic, standard Islamic narrative tells us. The standard Islamic narrative tells us this is what's going on there. 
in the seventh century, right? There you can see all the trade had to come from China and from India and from Asia. It had to come through India. There you can see India on the right side of the map. It could have gone north because of the mountains. Can you see the mountains there? Yes. You can see the Hindu Kush and you can see the Himalaya mountains. Therefore, it had to come this route. So let's just go and put the era. It had to come from the western coast of India up through the Straits of Hormuz over into the Persian Gulf. All right? right. And from the curves involved, it was then was uh, 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 taken off board to and through what is, Basra. Basically. Well, Basra didn't exist. Here's the irony of it: Basra didn't even exist back then. This is what's ironic: there was no Basra. Basra is so not another port. Definitely. Another port called yeah. something or whatever. And then from there, it was then sent across uh, uh, across Iraq, across Jordan, across what is today Israel, through the and fertile Syria. crescent, technically speaking, and over into the Mediterranean. Right. So that's why. And once it got to the Mediterranean, it's put on ship and it went all over. Europe and the rest of the world, right. uh, the, the civilization at that time. So that's the trade route theory. However, however, we do know that in the fifth century there was a problem between the Persians and the the Persians and the uh, the Byzantine Empire. So the Persians were known as the Sassanids. So let's put them up there. So here comes the Sassanids, Sassanians, or Sassanids either way, and here come the Byzantines. The Sassanians were basically Persian. They were from uh, what is today Iran, and the Byzantine Empire were the Europeans at that time. Turkey, where I have their name, was under their control. They started warring at each other. They were the two big superpowers of that time. Mm-hmm. Because they started warring, that shut down the trade going through the Persian Gulf. Right. There is a lot of risk involved now. Violence. Shutting yeah. it down. So right. let's just take away that. No longer could they use that route. Right. So what Montgomery Walk said is, ah, so they couldn't use that route. So what did they do instead? They go to Yemen. They go to Yemen. They go to Aden. And they come across the Arabian Sea, go boop, and go to Aden, and brrrr, right straight up. There you go, right up the western plateau, all the way up to Gaza in the north, 1,250 miles over land. Mm-hmm. Now, Patricia Corona, Dr. Patricia Corona, who is a historian, reads and writes 15 languages, looked at this. And she read the trade route theory. And she had always been birthed on it and, and, and also been studied it. And so she said, there's a problem here. There's a problem here, folks. So she said, take a look at it carefully. There are two problems, actually. Here's the first problem. Why was it you would be coming across the Arabian Sea and you transship the goods there in Aden and you go up to Taif there? And then why in the world would you come down to Mecca? Can you see the detour on the right. map? I'm right. showing it to you. And you also, just... I, I mean, I, as someone who lived there, the mountains down south okay, well, hold on to near that. Yemen. Don't say anything right now. We're okay. going to show you that. That's yet to come. You wanted my opinion, right? I know, but I don't want that opinion yet. <laughs> Hold on to it. You're not, you're champing at the bits, and I can see you want to get to this because that's really <laughs> exciting. Because there's two other pictures I want to show you that actually support what you're saying. But in other words, they, there's a detour, and then going down to Mecca, they then have to come up then to Yathrib, which is the archaic name for what is today Medina, mm-hmm. and then from Yathrib they would go on up to Gaza. That's right. See the detour there? Can you see it? Well, she, she pointed this out. Why hadn't anybody looked at a map? That's a detour. You're going off the Western Plateau. You're going down to Mecca. You're coming back up to Yathrib, and then you end up. That doesn't make sense. Why didn't they just go straight from, uh, what's the word? Aden? No, no. To Taif. There's Taif. Why didn't they just go from, straight from Taif to Yathrib, staying on the Western Plateau? Right. That was the first problem. The second problem she's noted too that no one else had noticed, and that is you're on boats, right? If you're on boats coming across the Arabian Sea, why don't you just stay on the boats? Because you have the Red Sea. Exactly. You've got the Red Sea. It is cheaper, it is safer, and it's quicker. It's what we do today. Right. We send everything by boats. 
because it's not only cheaper, you can also protect your goods better because you can see in the distance of the new ship coming through. There's no rocks, there's no hills, and there's no sand dunes where they can hide behind and they can attack you. You can see them long ways in the distance and you therefore you can protect yourself and be ready for battle if there is any battle. But it's also, you don't have to pay. You don't have to worry about camels. You don't have to feed camels. You don't have to water camels. Where is the water? I mean, that's the question. Uh, Million dollar question for the camels. Camels don't need as much water too, obviously. But still, you still have to water and feed them. You don't have any of that. All you need is a sail. And it pushes it along. It's free. Right. It's the freest way of propulsion. That's why we use huge ships today. Right. Because you can take the largest amount of goods. She found that if you only go 50 miles by land, it would cost the same amount as 1,250 miles by sea. Mm-hmm. That's what is the difference. So she said, hold on a minute. Let's find out if this is true. So what she did now, she reads and writes 15 languages. She knew all the languages. She could go back to all the reports. She went to the trading doctrines from the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th, right up until the 7th century. And this is what she found. They did take the goods, not up the Persian Gulf. They did come across the Arabian Sea. There's the Green Arrow. And they went, possibly they did go to Aden. No one's suggesting they didn't stop to get provisions at Aden. But they didn't take off any goods there for a very good reason. They went right there to Agilis. Agilis is the place they went to, which is in Eritrea today. And from Agilis, they went right up the Red Sea, up to Petra there, and from Petra to Gaza. And then from Gaza or Petra, they went right out and through all the different directions on the, in the Mediterranean Sea. That is what the trade, really, the historical trade route tells us. The land trade route never went through Mecca. And, and this is history. That's what history is telling us. And once again, we're struggling with Petra now, as opposed to Mecca. Now, why did it go up to, why did the trade route not go down to Mecca? Let's get back to your point. So I'm going to show this map here. Take a look at this map here. Do you notice this? Remind ourselves that Mecca is in relation to other known cities in Arabia. Let's look and see where that trade did go, if this was correct. So let's look at those cities where we do know the trade went. These are the cities that are well known on the trade route that Montgomery Watt did talk about. And of course, the first one is Aden. So there's Aden. I'll put a star there. And then it went from there to Sana. There's another star. And from there, it went up to Najan. And see where it's going as I'm going up the map? You notice what it's following? Can you see? This is a topographical map looking down on the topography. What is it following? It's following what they call the Western Plateau. And from there, it goes up to Taif. There's Taif right there. Mm-hmm. And from Taif, it makes Stan's region. went right up to Yathrib. And then from Yathrib, it went up to Tabuk and from Katabuk up to Petra and then Gaza in the north. That is the trade route and it all follows along the western plateau. Right. And I want to point something here. This type of map is extremely important. Why? Because it does show you bodies of water in the dark blue. It shows you desert in the yellow and sometimes shades of green, meaning there is some vegetation. I want people to show me, do they see any vegetations on the Arabian Peninsula side? Do they see any rivers, any streams, anything like that that are significant that will appear in no the satellite No rivers, no images? streams, but there is vegetation today in the 21st century. Today because is, of solid desolidization. We're talking about, even today, when you look at it, it's scattered because not all of it. I mean, it's a desert. I live there. I know the environment. Okay. Now, where do you think Mecca is on that? Well, you know because you've lived there. Uh, it's going to be between Taif and Yathrib. There it is. Yeah. Take a look. Is it on the Western Plateau? 
No, it's not. It's not on the West Bank. Let me show you another map. Here's a better one. This one is even more specific. So this is a topographical map looking right. just at Arabia, not at Yemen or not at, exactly. at Jordan in the north, uh, Jordan or uh, the, the, uh, Israel in the north. So here is Aden there. There's Aden. Uh, that's in Yemen. Uh, so is Sana in Yemen. But can you notice Najran? Now look at it. You can see the lines of the topograph. Look and see exactly where the trade route did go. Up to Taif and then up to Yathrib, then up to Tabuk and on up to Petra in the north, and then the Gaza. Mm -hmm. Where do you think Mecca, Mecca is? Again. There is Mecca. Exactly. Can you see now? It is 3,000 feet lower down. You have to come down 3,000 feet to Mecca, then go back up 3,000 feet to get to Yathrib. There is nothing there in Mecca to support any caravans. Absolutely. I mean, when, when we go to Taif, we would drive over up a mountain to get there. <laughs> See, today, and those are nice big roads where yeah. they, you don't even notice it. But if you have camels that need to be watered and fed, why would you go down to a place that had no water and no food, no fertilization, no vegetation, and then come all the way back up to Yathrib? Now, that pretty much supports what Patricia Crone found. However, she made a mistake. She made a huge mistake, and, and we're going to go into that next. Maybe, yes, we will hold off on this because we want people to come back and watch the continuation of this. Thank you, as always, and uh, I want to welcome uh, any of your comments, of course, about these maps. And uh, uh, some of you, by the way, did contribute to us digging deeper into additional maps for clarification. And I know Dr. Jay mentioned to me about some of your comments as well that led into that, which we're always open for any constructive advice or criticism. We're not here to try to attack. We're not here to try to uh, invent or make false claims. If you don't believe anything we're saying, by the way, we give you the sources, you go and investigate it, and we welcome any of your comments when it comes to that. Until next time, have a blessed day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.